Amen. Well, again, welcome to The Bridge. Really pleased that you are here and gathered with us and worshiping with us this morning. Um, really thrilled to have you. One quick note that we did not mention during our, during our regular announcement time, um, and that is there's a, there's a new Sabbath school class, a new young adult Sabbath school class, actually, that begins today in classroom four. Um, Pastor Kayla... Uh, and Jeremy will be leading out in that class. So it begins, um, it's, it's simultaneous with the freeway class, which is our collegiate young adult class. And then if you are maybe, perhaps a little bit older, maybe in a different stage of life, we have a young adult class now that we'll start today with Pastor Kayla and Jeremy. So a couple of options there for uh, folks in that, in that age range. And we'd love for you to take advantage of both of those, both Freeway and the new class. I don't know that we have a cool name yet for the new class, but we'll come up with one. I know what the content is. Uh, they're, studying, um, they're studying scripture, of course, but a guide they're using is uh, a book called Crazy Love. Um, so uh, we encourage you to check out that class, Classroom 4, right after this service. All right? Amen? Just give me an amen. Just to let me know you're out there. Amen? amen? Amen. All right. They are there. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you that we can gather in this place this morning. Thank you for the presence and the power of your spirit. Thank you for the gift of grace. Thank you for your power to restore and to heal and to renew. And Father, as you wave your banner, all are drawn to the power of your strength to restore and to renew. And may that be our story, Lord. May our story not end in decimation and ruin, but may it, may it come complete in the restoration of all things through Jesus Christ. In Christ's name we pray, amen, amen. So we're continuing our Banner Year series, Banner Year series, and to, uh, to, to kick off today, I want to start with a couple of questions, right? So you got to put your, your listening caps on, focus in on these really, really important questions that you're going to want to be able to answer um, because they're, you, they're just going to mean so much to you, all right? So hang with me. Here's the first question. What is your favorite feeling? What is your favorite feeling? Lean over to the person next to you and say, hey, what's your favorite feeling? Not everyone is participating. What is your favorite feeling? Maybe it's the feeling of accomplishment. Accomplishment. I love the feeling of accomplishment. When you walked across the stage and you received your diploma or your degree, you felt accomplishment. How about the feeling of freedom? Freedom. I think every American who, who lives here and experiences life in the U.S. Should, should have a favorite feeling, at least your top three of freedom. Amen? Amen. Satisfaction. Is that a favorite feeling? Here's some suggestions for you. Satisfaction. What is it? What does it mean to you when you've, you've done something or you've, you've arrived at a place and there's just a deep sense of satisfaction? How about this one? Maybe this is your favorite feeling. Control, because some of you are control freaks. <laughs> yeah, now I got a response. Uh-huh. Yeah, y'all like to be in control. 
How about love? Love. That's a favorite feeling. How about relief? Whoo. <laughs> relief. There's nothing like relief, man. When something that you thought wasn't going to happen actually happens, something good, or perhaps you avoided something bad, there's relief. Enormous relief. How about appreciation? You like the feeling of appreciation? How about acknowledgement? How about this one? How about acceptance? Acceptance. Perhaps acceptance is in your top, one of your top three when it comes to your favorite feelings. Here's the second question for you. All right? You still with me? Second, second question for you is what is your least favorite feeling? <laughs> what feeling do you not like the most? How about this one? Rejection. Rejection. Ever experienced rejection? Ever felt rejected? No one likes the feeling of rejection. How about lost? Lost. No one likes to feel lost. How about hopelessness? Hopelessness. Oh, terrible feeling of hopelessness. How about abandonment? Ever just felt totally abandoned? That is not a pleasant feeling. That has to rank way high in your list of least favorite feelings. How about this one? This one has to be one or two on everybody's list. The feeling of betrayal. Ever felt betrayed? Ever felt lied to? Ever felt made to be a fool? Ever been betrayed? Ever felt that feeling? That is not, that is not a good feeling. How about vulnerability? How about the feeling of being overwhelmed? Particularly busy week at work? The kids, yeah, they got all kinds of stuff going on. Feeling overwhelmed. How about this one? Overlooked. Overlooked. Ever felt invisible in a crowded room? <laughs> no one likes those feelings. The least favorite feeling. Maybe you caught this story this week, particularly if you're a sports fan, you may have picked up on the story. But Monday night, New York Knicks NBA superstar Derrick Rose skipped a game he was expected to play in. He wasn't injured, and as far as anyone knew, he was expected to play. But he never showed up to the game, never told anyone from the team that he needed to be absent from the lineup. He just was AWOL. He did not show up. This is, this is their superstar. This is their guy. This is a dude who makes millions and millions of dollars. And on the night that he was to work, to play in a game, to help his team win, he is nowhere to be found. Now, all kinds of stories are coming out, and you have to take most of what's reported with a grain, uh, grain of salt, but there is speculation, and I caught, I picked up on this one story that I thought was interesting, and it helps us out this morning. Some people are speculating that Derrick Rose, this huge NBA superstar, was feeling a bit disoriented and homesick and overwhelmed. He's playing for a different team in a different city. He's on a big stage in New York City with the Knicks. Things are different. He used to be in Chicago. It was his hometown. It's what he knew. It's what he was all about. And now he's in a different city, and he's feeling a bit disoriented, a bit homesick, and a big, bit overwhelmed. And what he did is that he left New York, he got on a plane, and he went home to see his mama. <laughs> <laughs> And you know, that's all right, isn't it? Because the truth of the matter is, every now and then, you just need your mama. 
right? You need mom. You just need to go home and wash your clothes and curl up on the sofa with your mom and eat her food. You just need to be with mama. That's all right. That's all right, isn't it? He ran home. Because he was feeling overwhelmed, he was feeling disoriented, he was homesick, he needed to go home and be with someone he knew was always on his side. Someone he knew would never turn him away. Someone he knew loved him unconditionally. So here we are. We're going to pick up on a story from the prophet Isaiah, from the book of Isaiah, chapter 49. And is speaking into a very desperate situation and a disappointing situation for God's people. They are a mess. Isaiah is gone, but his prophetic words greet them as they enter exile yet again. They're in a bad place. The Babylonians are in charge this time. Israel's temple decimated and gone. Their city is in ruins. They are in a bad place. They've lost all sense of purpose and destiny. They're, they're doing good just to survive. Can you relate to that? Perhaps Derek Rose can. They have no identity and they're losing hope quickly. Their best and their brightest ones, princes, rulers, and leaders are now household servants and slaves. Sometimes disobedience will Bring you down from the place that you were to a much lower place. Sometimes disobedience does that. And that was the case with Israel. God speaks through Isaiah into their desperation though. And they are experiencing their least favorite feelings. They're disoriented, homesick, overwhelmed. More than anything, though, more than anything, you can add to their list, more than anything, they feel forsaken, forgotten, and abandoned by their God. That's what they feel. In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 14, 49, 14, this is how Isaiah describes it. He says, uh, but Zion said, God's people, Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Least favorite feelings. Feeling forsaken, feeling forgotten, feeling abandoned and alone. Notice though this next line. Notice, we're going to go to verse 15 here in just a second. But like Derek Rose, we know that our moms are always the ones we can go to, right? We know that they will never forget us. She's always there. Mom is always there. Isaiah speaks to this reality just a little bit. He hints at an idea here that really uh, is a good thing to watch here. Isaiah 49, 15, 16. He says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast? It's the assumption that we all have. Mom never forgets about us. We can always go home there. And have no compassion on the child she has born. Though she may forget, we'll come back to that in a second, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Now, isn't that something? You and I know that mom is always there for us. You and I know that family, for the most part, they're always there for us. We can always go home. But the Bible implies that there is the slim possibility that a mom could actually forget her child. And what scripture is actually suggesting and pointing out to us 
is that whereas you and I may look to a, an earthly Savior to get us out of the tough place that we're in, the Bible says your earthly Savior can only take you so far. Your earthly Savior may, in fact, not remember your name. But there is a God who has imprinted, he has tattooed you on the palms of his hands. And he will not forget you. In other words, you don't need an earthly savior. It's not a, a familial or a family savior that you need. As wonderful as mom is, she cannot be your salvation. As awesome as mom is, she may not be able to restore you from the deep, dark, desperate, disoriented place that you may find yourself in. Her food can only go so far. As good as it is, it cannot restore your soul. As awesome as she is as a savior, she can not ultimately save you. But there is one who will not, has not, as much as it feels like he does, has not forgotten you. And he will never forget you. He says that you are engraved, that you're imprinted, that you're tattooed on the palms of his hands. There is no way that he has forgotten you, regardless of the way you feel. The fact of the matter is your God has not forgotten you. And even more, Isaiah 49, verses 8 through 9, the first part. Isaiah 49, verses 8 through 9. Listen to this. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people. Catch this next word. To restore. <laughs> to restore the land and to, and to reassign its desolate inheritances. To say to the captives, come out. And to those in darkness, be free. What Isaiah is speaking, as God inspires him to speak, is that there is one who can and who will come and restore you. As, they, as they're headed into a desperate place, as they are uh, going to experience exile yet again because of their own disobedience, the message that meets them as they're about to enter a very dark place is that this won't go on forever, that there is a restoration that will come, and there will be one who will deliver you from the mess that you've gotten yourself in. Now, here's the cool part. Here's the cool part. God's restoration will always be greater than your ruin. God's restoration will always be greater than your ruin. That's how you know it's God's work working things out for you. God's restoration will always be greater than your ruin. Go to Isaiah chapter 49, verses 19 through 21. This is sort of where we begin to hear this message. Not only will you be restored, but your restoration will be much bigger than, your, than the ruin you have experienced. Though you were ruined and made desolate, God, God clearly understands what's going on with them and where they're at and what's gone on with them. And what they are about to experience. But notice what he says. Though you were ruined and made desolate. And your land laid waste. 
Now you will be too small for your people, and those who devoured you will be far away. The children born during your bereavement will, say, will yet say in your hearing, this place is too small for us. Because God's restoration is always bigger than your ruin. Because God is always up to something. Even in your darkest moments, God is always doing something to restore you. This place is too small for us. Uh, give us more space to live in. Because God is doing something and has done something here. Verse 21. Then you will say in your heart, who bore me these? I was bereaved and barren. I was exiled and rejected. Right? Who brought these up? I was left all alone. But these, where have they come from? <laughs> That's awesome. When you experience God's restorative work, you can't help but be blown, blown away by the reality of the fact that God has gone far beyond you ever, far beyond what you ever expected him to do. His restoration will always be greater than your ruin. If indeed you have not experienced the, the beauty and the power of God's restoration to the extent that it is greater than your ruin, then you're not experiencing his restoration. His restoration is always bigger. It always leads to more. God always has a bigger plan in mind. His plan is for you to flourish and to thrive. His plan is always not that you would simply get to a better place, but that you would get to a better place and beyond. Remember the story, the prodigal son, prodigal son, great story. Prodigal son comes to the father, asks for his inheritance, essentially telling the father that I wish you were dead because the only way I get this inheritance is if you die. So I'm going to come early before you die. Make you, think, make you think that I wish that you were dead and ask for my inheritance. Sure enough, the father gives the son the inheritance. He goes off. He spends it on wild living, right? And then there's that crucial moment when he's about to eat the same food that the pigs were eating. And the Bible says that he came to his senses. And he, he begins to scheme up in his mind. Hey, well, you know, the servants have it better than I do. I'll just go and I'll ask my dad if I can sort of kind of be like his uh, servant, right? I'll just at least get to where the servants are. And what happens? The father sees him a long way off and begins to jog and run and pick up speed as he runs towards his wayward son who is coming back. And in his mind, the father's saying, oh, life is going to get better for you, son. Things are going to be so much better for you. I'm going to restore you. In the son's mind, he's thinking, all right, if I can just sort of get a room, a cot out in the shed with the servants, I'll be all right. And the father says, no, no, no. my son is home, right? Remember the story? My son is home. Kill the fatted calf, put a ring on his finger, put a robe on him. Uh, let's throw a party. This is going to be huge. My son, who was once dead, is now alive. He's returned home. I got bigger things and better things in mind for him because the father always has in mind to restore beyond what you could ever imagine. His restoration will always be greater than your ruin. If you're not experiencing flourishing as you return to God, then recheck things. Because God has that in mind for you. Don't settle for 
Don't settle for your limited vision of what God has in mind for your restoration. God will always do greater things. And he begins to hint at it. He begins to hint at it in chapter 49, verses 19 through 21. Go to Isaiah chapter 49, 22 and 23 now. Because here's where God begins to raise up a banner. And he begins to, he begins to sort of give us a glimpse of the greater thing that he is going to do. Isaiah 49, verses 22 through 23. This is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I will beckon to the nations. I will lift up my banner to the peoples. They will bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their hips. Kings will be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. They will bow down before you with their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust at your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. You see, there's a, as, as, as Isaiah writes this, you kind of get the sense that God's people, as they're experiencing and hearing this message, they're kind of blown away by the notion that, hey, we are in exile. We've been in exile. We've experienced nothing but dismay. We're disoriented. We've been disobedient, all this stuff. And yet you're talking about something that we can't even begin to imagine. You're talking about restoring us beyond what we could ever imagine. They're blown away by it. But as God lifts up his banner, what's clearly seen is the bigger thing that God has in mind. That your restoration very often isn't simply for you. That's the thing. It's not like you come along God rescues you, turns things around for you, and it's all well and good. God begins to say, hey, the same restoration that you've experienced, the same restoration that I've experienced, isn't simply limited to us. As God raises high his banner, others are drawn to understand and to see who this great God is. It's not just that Israel is being restored. But God said, that's too small of a thing for you to even begin to think about. What I am doing reaches the nations. It goes beyond you. Because here's the truth of the matter. All people have experienced ruin. All people have suffered loss. All people walk around disoriented. All people look for a home. All people, not just God's people, but everyone is seeking a place where they find unconditional love, where they can find restoration, where they can return to, where they can experience a life of flourishing and thriving. And here's the idea behind flourishing. Flourishing is where God's promises and provision intersect with our divine purpose to bring about God's plan. That's, that's sort of what's happening here. Flourishing. Flourishing is where God's promises and provision intersect with our divine purpose to bring about God's plan. Exile means there's a loss of purpose, a sense of disorientation, a loss of identity. 
But God comes along, he says, no, that's not the end for you. That's not the end of your story. Don't forget, I have promised you something better. I promised you the land. I promised to give you uh, the, the promised land. There's something better for you. I'm going to take you to that place. You won't be stuck here forever. I'm going to restore you. God's promises and provision intersect with our divine purpose to bring about his plan. His plan is for you to flourish. His plan is always for us to flourish because his restoration is always greater than your ruin. Just ask Job. Go to the end of the the story of Job. Job lost everything. Life decimated. And it wasn't by his own disobedience. It was just a test of God. But if you go to the end of Job's story, you read a little bit there. It says that everything was given back to Job and then some. Life was better. God's restoration is always greater than your ruin. God's restoration is always greater than your ruin. He has in mind flourishing for you and me. So here's, here's how we'll, we'll just wrap this up here. Um, I had this ongoing joke with, with Christina. Um, I've, I've told her this joke for years. We've been married 22 and I've probably joked every year about this, but um, it's a lot of fun. Um, but I've always told her, God forbid, if anything were to happen to me, um, I, you know, I still want you to have an amazing life, all right? But I always joke with her, I'm like, look, you're not going to marry for love, honey, because we had that, you know? <laughs> if you get remarried, if you're going to move on with life, I want life to get better for you. And what I mean by that is I want you to marry a rich dude, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Now, understand, I want him to be rich, but almost dead, okay? <laughs> All right? I want him to have a lot of money, but like almost gone, because I don't, you know. And basically what I'm saying, basically what I'm saying is, honey, if, if something happens to me, um, and, you know, I want your restoration. You're going to grieve me, but you're going to move on. So I want your restoration to be better than the decimation of losing me. Because I want you to flourish. I want your restoration to be something wonderful and glorious. And that can happen if you marry a really rich dude that's almost dead. <laughs> you understand. Because the father always wants the best for his children. I want the family to, to be well. I want my girls to, to be taken care of. I want them to have a dude that's got a lot of money who can pay for their weddings. Because I want the restoration to be far better than the ruin. That's our God. He sees you. He knows you. He understands your pain. He understands the feelings that you have. But he says, don't, don't reside there. Don't Hang out in exile. I've got something more for you. I've got a divine purpose and a plan. I have in mind for you to flourish and to thrive. There is more for you. Don't stay stuck in the land of ruin. I'm going to move you on to more. Because your father has in mind your flourishing. And when he lifts up that banner, he calls all to flourishing. 
So if you don't know this God, if you don't understand this God, if you haven't been around this God, he says, that's all right, just, just look to where all the people are starting to gather. I can bring you out of your exile and bring you into a place of flourishing. That's my divine plan for you. That's my purpose I have in mind for you. The Father always wants your flourishing. He always wants your restoration to be greater than your ruin. Pray with me. Father God, Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you understand where we are, you understand what we feel. But Father, may we never just settle for restoration. May we look to all that you have for us and seek the flourishing, seek the fulfillment of the promises of the kingdom of God. We'll come to know that it's not just for us, We're not just the ones that the promise is meant for, but it's meant for so many. So may we respond to your call. May we we experience life restored, life renewed, and the flourishing that you promise. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.